we had no chance trying to fight on the branding part. In fact, we didn't even try. They did such a good job. We were like, we're just going to ride that wave. But we're going to show the market that what we build actually works. And then they're going to come to us. And that was our strategy. I'm Pepe Blau. I don't do fluff. I don't do filler. I don't do emojis. What I do is study winners in B2B SaaS because I want to know how much is strategy, how much is luck, and how do they win. This week, Gil Alouche, founder and CEO at Metadata, a demand generation platform which automates and self-optimizes campaign experiments at scale. Since being founded in 2015, Metadata has been named one of the fastest growing private companies in the US, with a 420% three-year revenue increase. In this episode, we discuss how pre-existing demand can drive growth in young companies. We look at how radical transparency can set you apart from competitors and build trust with customers. And we talk about the value of competing on innovation, if you have the resources to do it. Let's get into it. When you started Metadata, what was the opening that you saw in the market? The reason for starting Metadata was based on a personal experience. So I'm a software engineer originally. I coded most of my life, came to the US with the purpose of starting a company, but my ticket in was an MBA. And after I graduated, I needed to pay for it. So I worked in marketing. And uh, I ended up spending seven, eight years in marketing. As you can tell, I'm no Don Draper. So when I started doing my marketing work, I realized I have a very different point of view on the way I built marketing. I have a quantitative background, a technical background. So I went straight to my comfort zone. And the way I did marketing was I used a lot of data and I used a lot of technical experimentation in order to achieve my goals. After doing it for seven, eight years, I was successful at my job. I was always able to deliver predictable pipeline for my sales counterpart. I noticed there's like a, a group of technical marketers out there, many of them software engineers in their background and all successful at their job. I realized there's a pattern here. And I basically had two choices from that point on. Either I keep leveraging on that and I open a, a consultancy or an agency, or maybe I just go into the CMO route, or I make myself a commodity. I went the other, that way. And I basically, I started Metadata with the goal of making the technical marketers a non-necessity and essentially creating a piece of software that will do all the technical, repetitive, quantifiable data tasks that otherwise a computer can do much faster. That was the goal. So, you know, you spent some time building your MVP, you came to the market, then what happened? What, did it work right away? Did you have to make adjustments? Absolutely did not work. The first version was like smoke and mirrors. It was a nice UI. I put together a bunch of things. It was not that different than what I created uh, while I was at of Marketing. But it's a good enough prototype to get prospects and investors excited. With that, we actually recreated the software three times. I created the first version, didn't really work. Then I hired a team in Israel, but I didn't really have a, a founder there, so that didn't work either. Then we started creating it with another team. Thankfully, by that time, Olena and Emily joined the team. Olena is my VP of product and Emily is my VP of engineering. And they actually created the product at work. That took us, I would say, something like three years. We did get many patents on the way. So we have five patents today and a large database of one and a half billion professionals. But we had to put a lot of effort into building a truly differentiated technology. Because in marketing, sales and marketing many times 
the technologies are not a differentiator. You can win through innovation or brand, preferably both. In fact, innovation is the most reliable way to quickly grow your market share. To formulate an effective innovation strategy, a company must know all its customers' needs, which needs are unmet, and what segments of customers exist with different unmet needs. But in most companies, management can't agree on what a customer need even is. So to win on product innovation, you need to know those customer needs and which of them are unmet. If you manage to build an objectively better product, that's one hell of an advantage. But these are transient advantages. It's something Drift CEO David Kensel put well in a previous episode of How to Win. I believe that there's these three cycles that markets go through and that we're like in the third cycle when it comes to SaaS software. And it's like, you know, the first cycle was about pure invention. That was the early days of the commercial internet. And so like your defensibility... Back then, we would have patents, right? We would basically be able to hide behind technology because through patents or non-patents because just what we were doing was so difficult for people, other people to figure out. It was so much work that you could hide behind kind of technology, like a technology moat. So now, as you know, everyone knows how to do technology. So like there's no moats around those things. The only moat left in a general sense is like to build an affinity with your audience like in the consumer you know, world, and then have those people choose you for whatever reason over the competitor. So you took three years to build it to a level that you were happy with. Meanwhile, were you making money or were you living off of VC money? Combination. We did make some money, enough to survive, because we were basically complementing what the computer didn't do with humans. And so we hired people to every day do what a computer would do. And every, every month, we will take a percentage of those manual tasks that we would do and code them. We didn't really know what to build from day one. We had the concept. But then, you know, when we actually started selling and we started selling from day one, then we realized what actually works for the customer and what doesn't. And what worked, then we did it manually first and then brought it into the software. And it did it over and over and over for three years. In SaaS, typically the idea or the mantra is that whatever you build, if there's demand for it, they can and will copy you eventually. Most companies I see taking one of two approaches. Either they're investing in brand as their moat, because they're going to get commoditized, or they're doubling down on innovation. So which route are you taking? I would say we're in the innovation part. The way we think about it, innovation is huge in two ways. Our product is fundamentally different than all the other products out there. It's more like a real-time game or defense system than it is a marketing system. And the reason is what we're trying to do is automate all the technical repetitive mundane tasks that technical marketers and, and agencies will do for you. By the nature of it, there is an actual real-time engine that is live all the time, that is setting up all of your campaigns, it's monitoring them, it's auditing them, it's changing them. You know, it trips and changes the, the creative and the budget, so on and so forth. In order to do that, we have to create a real-time engine. We also have this huge pillar in the company and in the product for experimentation. When I did marketing, there were two things that I did that made me successful. One, I had data. The data made sure that I don't spend money or time on the wrong company or the wrong person. So that gave me more money and more time to spend on the right company and the right person. The second part, I had no idea what was going to work. I did not have the intuition of 
like a grand marketer to make a bet on this particular campaign. I had no clue. So what I did is I basically experimented at scale. I put all the creatives, all the content, all the channels, all the audiences, all the campaign types that I thought are possible and are likely to succeed. And I let it run. And so when we have new customer, they sometimes have to like get used to it. They're so accustomed to like log into a channel and spend 45 minutes just to have one campaign up and running. And suddenly with metadata, you know, they drop their entire marketing mix and in one hour they can set up 500 campaigns. It's a very different methodology to achieve the same goal. And that is fundamentally very different. And we have patents, all the patents are not, not, not going to protect you. But keep innovating in such a manner is absolutely going to be a, a mode for you. And in order to continue that, we have a full team, actually, that is solely aimed towards innovation. They run experiments. Many of them are terrible experiments that will never pan out. But one out of five suddenly becomes a huge, a huge feature that is completely changing the game. We're only now starting to invest in brand, but it's only after we proved our value. We were absolutely the underdog. We raised about 120th, so about 5% of what our perceived competition did. And so we had no chance trying to fight on the branding part. In fact, we didn't even try. They did such a good job. We're just going to ride that wave. But we're going to show the market that what we build actually works. Others can tell a story of the promise. And then people are either going to believe the story and try it and it doesn't work. And then they'll look for us. Or they're not, or they're going to look for alternatives to begin with, and then they're going to come to us. And that was our strategy. Pay attention to what he said. They chose a big market to enter. They let all the bigger competitors do the hard work of customer education and category creation. What is ABM? What do you use it for? And how? Meanwhile, they just kept focusing on building an objectively better product. Yeah, it took them three years, but now they're in the market full of savvy, educated buyers comparing alternatives, and they often come out at the top. This is a great example of a clever strategy with clear strategic trade-offs. How was the market going to find out that your product actually works? We relied solely on customer word of mouth and later reviews. So the first and biggest investment I did in marketing was a G2 crowd. If you're familiar with them, they're like the Yelp of SaaS. So our G2 crowd has one of them, the most reviews and, and very compelling reviews. These are all customer generated. And that was our strategy. Did you incentivize the reviews, meaning like give them credits or Amazon gift cards or? Yeah, they have, G2 gives you, when you sign up, they'll give you like a $500 credit for gift cards. So if you put a review, it doesn't matter what review, right? Whether it's good or bad, you'll give it a gift card. So we did that. So right now you have about 200 reviews in there. So are you making the claim that having 200 reviews in G2 is enough to drive sales? Absolutely. Especially because our technology operationalizes data from G2. So many companies may just have their reviews out there. They will, many companies won't invest in their reviews at all. We absolutely invested a lot in having a good review page. But then we also paid G2 for the data, the buyer intent data. Because to your point, how did they even know that we exist? What if they don't go to G2? Or what if they go and look at a competitor? So we bought that data. And what we would do is we would 
send emails and advertise to companies who are looking at our category, even if it's not on us. And we won't even tell them, like, go buy metadata. We'll just tell them, come check the top three solutions for this category. And then inevitably, because they want to see the analysis, the analysis will be provided by us. Although it's objective data, we would be the one paying and, and putting it out there. Then they will know about our brand and they'll at least consider us as one of the options. And then it's up to us to prove them that our solution works. So the category that you're in, is that ABM software? That's how it started. So account-based marketing is a methodology that is very strongly marketed and advertised. And we kind of rode that way. It's not exactly what we do, but it's close enough. And so as a young company, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel, not yet. We wanted to write something that is already educated and become the best at it. Our focus, and focus is the most important thing for a startup, our focus was to build not the best looking, but the engine that works the most. The one that actually gets you the return on investment. It's extremely clear. You put $1,000 here and you get $10,000 on, on the other end. That's what we wanted to do. And that was our way to win for the first few years. Pre-existing demand is one of the biggest growth drivers for B2B companies. When you have a large market already seeking out what you sell, it's a much easier life. You don't need to spend as much on customer education. But existing demand comes with established competition. Some markets, like email marketing and marketing automation, are huge enough where even near-identical companies can coexist and make a ton of money. Of course, the top two in any category make the most. If you're in a crowded space and you're not among the top two, you need to focus on differentiation and why the customer would choose you. Once you've identified your key differentiator, double down on it. Optimize your machine to deliver on that promise. Are you faster? Make it 10x faster. Are you cheaper? Go way cheaper. Make it all about cheaper. Are you better for some use cases? Make it obviously demonstrably better than anything else out there. So the ABM category, of course, is very competitive. Some you know pretty uh, well-known brands in there. You know your your demand base or or Terminus, I guess Six Sense, and a lot of SaaS companies struggle with differentiation. In the end, every tool becomes basically the same, right? Very similar. Everybody has every feature. What is your view on the competitive strategy on these top competitors as as well as uh, smaller ones? How are you going to remain different? Couldn't agree more. It's a shit show, uh, especially in marketing technology. There's like 8,000 companies out there. And most of, you know, it's like a big graveyard too. The vast majority of the companies, they die, they disappear, they get acquired. We said we're going to be different in a few ways. Pricing is a nice example. Most of the marketing technology companies that you go into their website, they may have a pricing menu. And guess what? You click on their pricing, there are no numbers there. Get a demo. You get a demo, enterprise, talk to a salesperson. We said we're going to have... It's going to be expensive. We're not going to cannibalize ourselves, but we're actually going to put the pricing out there. That kind of level of transparency, we apply to many other aspects of the business. So our way to differentiate is by telling people exactly what we do. And at the end of the day, forget about the technology, forget about all the bells and whistles. What are you going to get? And what we tell our customers is that with metadata, there is no sophisticated attribution or calculations that you have to do in order to realize your return on investment. If in Salesforce, you put in metadata $10,000 and you don't get at least 
I don't know, 50, 100,000. Some of our customers get like 20, the ratio is one to 20. Then don't renew. Within the G2, there are many categories. ROI is the one that we're always at the top, significantly, like two to three X higher. It's the toughest one, but we feel so confident in our technology that we'll go and promise that. And if we deliver, we win the market because it's the toughest thing to prove. So you have a great product. People use it, they get results, they're happy. Uh, you're investing in reviews. What else are you doing to grow more customers, increase your market share? Well, another wonderful thing that happened is that some of our customers actually became investors and some of our customers joined us. We're a marketing company that caters marketers. And so because we're a no bullshit, true meat kind of company, many saw that about us and joined us. And one of our ways of growing is continuing that trend. And on all the faults in our marketing team, they have lots of street cred in the B2B marketing world. And so we try to release constant content, like very high value content, not just the one that will make us look good, but very transparent content. For example, one of, you know, we, we released a post, why not to buy metadata? Truly, like if you're this, you should not be buying us. Like you should be doing something else. That kind of content is very real. Or every time we go through a process, like we did our first conference, we released the entire playbook of how we build this conference. The way Jason, our VP of marketing, does demand, he released the actual spreadsheets that we use month after month to plan our demand and to show our wife our marketing. So when you show the way you do work, when we send an email, and it has like interesting details about you. We'll tell you all the details we know about you and what, how we got there. So it's many times we win because of that, because marketers see the transparency and they understand these folks are doing the work, but they're also showing how they did it. And because we sell to marketers, it's a win-win because they want to do the same. Leading with transparency gains trust with customers. It can be a way to stand out and differentiate. What if you ran a radically transparent company? Live-streamed internal meetings? Made all internal documents and the like public? Nobody's that brave. But you'd have no competition, that's for sure. In his book, Bigger Than This... Fabian Gerhalter discusses eight brand traits of successful brands, including transparency. Transparency, oh boy, trust, right? So important. I feel like our trust is broken every hour on the hour, right? It's absolutely crazy. If you're a startup and you can lead with transparency, oh boy, it's amazing how quickly you can gain traction. But you have to actually be who you pretend you are, right? You can't fake it. Well, if you're bold enough, and if you can pull it off, and if you can say, I'm going to lead with transparency 100%, you don't even have to do anything yet. You just say it. And this is who you're going to be. And you are going to do that, right? I mean, you have to 100% commit to it fully. If you're a startup entering a space and you say, I'm the one that's 100% leading with transparency, People are going to prefer you. I'm 100% certain of that. People ache for it. So transparency as a cornerstone or um, a value, I guess, in, in, your, in your marketing organization. How did you come to that decision? I think many times for better and worse, because sometimes there's some bad things that you bring, it comes from a personal experience. So I personally hated going to websites and not having price. It feels like a scam, like a bait and switch. And then it's not just my personal experience. I would attract similar culture, similar people to the company, and they would also have the same point of view about this. They would also say like, yeah, what is this BS about pricing? Let's make pricing transparent. Let's share everything about our process. Let's share the struggles. Like uh, 
the political problem sometimes between a CEO and VP of marketing, the VP of marketing and VP of sales. Like, let's talk about those things and get them all there in a transparent and real way. And it will resonate. People are looking for that because they experience life in a similar way to us. We don't have to put the corporate image, the less authentic version of it. There's no need for that. You mentioned that you didn't start uh, focusing on brand and marketing until later because your competitors were better funded and so on. Why did you think that the timing is finally right? Was it about resources or how did you make that decision? Uh, for many reasons. First of all, I have no idea how to do it. Zero knowledge. So I had to wait until there is a good team of marketers who actually know, have a clue how to do it. So that was the first one. Second one, also, you were poor super poor before, which is also was good because it made us actually be on the path to profitability. So we were able to like manage our economics in a very sustainable way. So having more resources. And three, to be honest, we didn't really know. We, we tackled the biggest, what we perceived to be the biggest problem, the biggest pain for a VP of marketing or a VP of demand gen in a P2P company. We tackled that first, but that's just one, one part. Over time, we realized we know what to build. We know what to bring to the market. Once we matured and once we got the confidence and believed that we can deliver it, and we saw, you know, we have like 160 customers, 170 customers at this point who are see the success. Then we said, okay, now we're ready to make a stake in the ground and say, this is us. I believe that a strong brand is your best, most sustainable long-term asset. In a world where everyone has the same features and capabilities, the brand can be your strongest moat. Every company can be a brand. And brand is not your logo. It's not what you say you are. It's what they say you are. It's the story someone attaches to your product. What does it say about me when I buy you? I'm reminded of the story Jonah Sachs told. Before everyone used a Mac, it had a rebelliousness to the brand. Once he boarded a plane and pulled out his MacBook. His next seat neighbor glanced at him and asked, A Mac guy, eh? The neighbor painted a picture in his head about Jonah just based on the product he was using. That is the power of a brand. How people often choose one or another brand, it's based on affiliation. Which identity do I buy into? You need to be clear what you stand for, what your DNA is about, but you can cultivate that. Here's Shan Biglion, head of product at Kelp, with one famous example. I don't think you necessarily buy Nike because they make the best shoes. I think you buy Nike because you buy into maybe the spirit of what they're bringing with Colin Kaepernick, for instance. I think you buy into Nike because you believe the, the expression that this brand has and how it supports athletes makes sense to you. Yet you're still buying a shoe product. I mean, it's probably not going to make you jump faster or further. There'll be moments for you to try to be convinced that you're still selecting the right shoe. But at the end of the day, you know, there is a reason why athletes can go and win things with either Adidas or Nike. They don't need one or the other. How it makes you intangibly and subconsciously react to that company is a big role of the brand and how it drives your unreasonable desire to spend more money than you should on a product that is not so different than you believe it is, is ultimately what brand does a lot of, of work on. What have uh, been some of your strategic decisions or choices that you have made, whether it's related to sales and marketing or product, that didn't pan out, that kind of failed? Oh man, most of them, right? For example, in the beginning, I put a lot more effort into scraping and crawling and trying to create our own data from scratch instead of partnering with the dozens of data sources that are out there and trying to combine them into one, one graph. That's one bet that was completely mistaken, probably 
I probably spent six months trying to hire senior sales talent too early before we had product market fit. Colossal failure, absolutely. Not waiting a little bit between getting the investment and selling. You know, I wanted to continue the momentum, but truly it was very hard because the product was not mature. There was no product market fit. Selling to anyone, you know, in the first days, I literally sold two people in a garage, you know, for a hundred dollars. No thought behind the economics of it, you know. B2C companies, B2B companies, large, small, what have you. You have money, I'll take it. Those are not very sophisticated decisions that I had to go through, make the mistake, fail, learn from. I see this all too often. Companies are selling to everyone. I get it. It's hard to say no to money. However, if your company is targeting all revenues indiscriminately, it's very difficult to innovate on customer value at high speed. When anyone could be a customer, it is difficult to decide whom to target and what those folks actually want. The result is an offering that is not compelling to anybody really and an unfocused sales force. You need a clear strategy to overcome this. Tamara Gromensky, Chief Strategy Officer at Unbounce, explained the importance of niching down in a previous episode of How to Win. So honestly, the first thing we did was recognize that we had become a bit of a catch-all tool. So we were everything to everyone. And we realized that in order to grow at the rate that we wanted to grow, we needed to choose a bit of a specialization or a bit of a niche. And so the first thing we did was really look at our customer segmentation and ask ourselves, who are our best customers? What is the target market that we want to win in? And then how can we start to fortify that market? And we said, we believe that the small business industry needs help. The technology that is emerging around us, there's you know optimization tools, there's building tools, there's now AI and machine learning. All of them were priced out of the small business market, meaning it was way too expensive for them to get in the game or required things that small businesses didn't have. So yeah, there are some really great optimization tools, but they require you to have 100,000 visitors to your landing page, not 500. Or they require you to have so many different variants that no small business has an amount of time to actually build. And we started to see some options that emerged. How are you defining your target audience or your ICP today? We constantly look into the ICP. There is a lot of demand for what we do today. We truly get hundreds of inbound demo requests every month. So we have a lot of demand coming in. Today, we analyze the ideal customer profile, not by who do we sell to or who do we sell to even a big deal. But today we analyze the ICP by who do we sell to that within three, four, five months, they triple their subscription with us. Because we're early still, we're still in our, in the early adopter stage. So every customer that we bring in, we want their experience to be phenomenal, like to be the match to be perfect. And so we recently did the analysis based on net retention rates and expansions. And we correlated those attributes. And then we brought it back all the way to the marketing, to the SDR, to the sales. And sometimes we'll get in trouble, but we will tell you like, if it's not a good fit, if we don't think it's a good fit because of the technology you have, the stage that you are, the budget, the size, what have you, we'll tell you like, this will probably not work, or if it will work, it will be like mediocre. There is better ways to do it. What are some of the things that you're betting on for the future uh, to hit your next milestone? I'm definitely betting that marketing is going to become more and more and more digital and that people are going to want to do a lot less technical, repetitive, mundane tasks. The whole 
heroism around like being the technical person who's doing everything with like seven open Google spreadsheets and, and monitors that's going away. We're also betting that there are going to be wall gardens around every uh, media companies like Facebook and Google and Apple and, and TikTok and all of those companies are building their own wall gardens. Uh, and you're going to have to work with them individually. The whole programmatic, cookies-based digital advertising is becoming tougher and tougher to do. Uh, and that was something that we bet on from the beginning. And, you know, people are going to spend a lot more time online. And as long as you are targeting the right person, it doesn't matter where you find them. You know, it doesn't matter if you find them on TikTok, Pinterest, Quora, on Reddit. It's a good idea. So, what are the three key strategies metadata leaned into in order to succeed? One, they started out in a market with strong pre-existing demand, focused on becoming the best. Account-based marketing is a methodology that is very strongly marketed and advertised, and we kind of rode that way. It's not exactly what we do, but it's close enough. And so, as a young company, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel, not yet. We wanted to write something that is already educated and become the best at it. Two, they made innovation and experimentation non-negotiable pillars of both their company and product. We have a full team, actually, that is solely aimed towards innovation. They run experiments. Many of them are terrible experiments that never pan out. But one out of five suddenly becomes a huge, a huge feature that is completely changing the game. Three. They differentiated by prioritizing transparency. I personally hated going to websites and not having price. It feels like a scam, like a bait and switch. And then it's not just my personal experience. I would attract similar culture, similar people to the company. And they would also say like, yeah, what is this BS about pricing? Let's make pricing transparent. Let's share everything about our process. Let's share the struggles and it will resonate. One last takeaway from Gil. Our focus, and focus is the most important thing for a startup, our focus was to build not the best looking, but the engine that works the most. The one that actually gets you the return on investment. It's extremely clear. You put $1,000 here and you get $10,000 on, on the other hand. That's what we wanted to do. And that was our way to win for the first few years. That's how you win. I'm Pepe Playa. For more tips on how to win, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for listening.